E-A-B-L-E-S. Ebels. Remember that name because if you suffer from chronic joint and muscle pain like me, then Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil is your answer to your prayers. The Ebels story began with the search for something natural to help manage chronic migraines. But Ebels helps more than just migraines. From managing chronic pain, anxiety, depression, and more, Ebels is truly a game changer in the natural alternatives to big pharma drugs. And yours truly, Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, can indeed vouch for the quality of Ebels. Having a herniated disc in my back, Whew. coupled with years of sports injuries, I was struggling to find something, anything to help manage my pain. That is until Ebels. With the best quality product and customer service in the industry, Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil and Ebels Freeze Gel easily stand above all the competition. And right now, Ebels is offering a special discount to all members of the Brian Nichols Show audience on all orders. All you have to do is head to Ebels.com and use promo code TB. NS, the Brian Nichols Show, right? TBNS at checkout. That's it. Discount applied. Again, the code is TBNS at checkout to start managing your pain today with the highest quality CBD on the market. One more time, that is code TBNS at checkout. And now, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At the Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Ah, the last day of November, and it's a Monday. Happy Monday, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you for stopping by. Another fun-filled episode. Yes, this week. A little different, though. How about that? This uh, week, we're starting off with not a guest here on The Brian Nichols Show, but rather an appearance of yours truly on another podcast. And actually, this is a friend of the show, Dan Berman. Dan, taxation is theft. Berman over on said podcast, Taxation is Theft, and uh, Dan asked me to join the show to really answer the age-old question, how do we sell liberty, right? That's what we've been focusing here on the Brian Nichols Show, and that's really, I think, the, the number one question that needs to be addressed as we move forward into 2022 and 2024, and it's been apparent that uh, we still have a lot of work to do, so fingers crossed as we move into 2021 that we're going to see uh, you know, a, a nice shift from LP National, fingers crossed. I'm, I'm holding uh, out some hope, so I'm hoping that we're going to see an approach more towards uh, building value, being problem solvers, and actually addressing the problems that really matter to people out there, namely being number one, uh, focusing on that, the lockdowns, but number two, not lecturing. Lecturing is not how you sell, and that's something that we dig into here on today's episode where I join Dan Taxation is Theft Berman over on his podcast, Taxation is Theft. So, without further ado, on to the show, me on Taxation is Theft with Dan Taxation is Theft Berman. All of the government programs that we don't like are funded by theft. All of the government programs that we do like, oh sorry, there aren't any. Government is the reason that healthcare is expensive. Government is the reason you can't go to college. Taxation is theft. And welcome back to Taxation is Theft, the show that talks about all the ways the government is ripping you off and screwing you with your own money. 
Broadcasting live on Facebook and YouTube from an underground bunker deep within the jungles of Mexico at an undisclosed location. I'm Dan Taxation Theft Berman, former candidate for President of the United States, currently in the race for Governor of Texas. And tonight I have Brian Nichols, host of, you're not going to believe this, The Brian Nichols Show at BrianNicholsShow.com. Um, it's, it, that's such an amazing coincidence that his show and his name just happen to be the same name. It's amazing. It's mind-blowing. Um, before we get started, if you're watching the live streams, please make sure to share, invite your friends, start a watch party, do whatever you can to spread the word, because we're going to be talking, especially tonight. I know sometimes we talk about some really boring shit that you've heard a million times about how much taxes suck, but tonight we've actually got some really, really interesting topics. We're going to talk about how to introduce libertarianism to people who don't want to hear about libertarianism or liberty. Um, introducing this to new people, reaching people that are usually unreachable. Um, so you're going to want to hear this, so make sure to tag your friends and share this. And of course, uh, during the show, while you're listening to this and while you're feeling ex inspired to hate the IRS and all these other tax collecting agencies, head over to taxationstuff.info and uh, support us by buying some swag, like this really cool hat that I have on that you cannot see if you're listening to the podcast. But if you're listening to the podcast, you need to head over to YouTube and subscribe, of course. Anyways, on to the show. Brian Nichols, welcome. I'm doing awesome. I, so I want to start the show out before we get into it. Which tax do you hate the most? <laughs> Enthusiastically, again, I hate property tax because why would you pay taxes for something you already own? Absolutely. But it's and, – and we, we say the same thing about like um, the vehicle taxes and, and you know things like that. But it's like even, even with vehicle taxes – you can say, okay, I'm not going to use my car. You can park it in the garage. I mean, right. I used it anyway. But, you know, park it in the garage and not have to pay that just to keep it. But with property, you can't do that. Right. You and, just kind of, and, you know, live where we live. <laughs> yeah. And property tax, I always like to say, is the one, you know, while people are out there saying income tax is slavery because you're selling, you're, you know, they get to keep part of your labor. Yeah, but it's more like getting mugged on the way home from work. Yep. I like to say property tax is the real slavery because if it weren't for the property tax, you could live on your land and nature provides everything you need. But the king comes along and says, I need some shiny metal pieces. Go into town and get a job and work for somebody to earn those shiny metal pieces so you can earn the right to stay on that land. Yep. Um, no, bingo. Yeah, that's the worst one, man. Property tax um, sucks. No, I'm not a big fan. Now, and, and you know what's wild too is how disproportionate it can be just by area. I had a, a gentleman on my show who's running for a legislator in Long Island, and uh, Long Island their their property taxes I think on average were is like seventy percent higher than the national average just because it's in Long Long Island. And and just to think that just because you own a home on Long Island that you're you're being basically penalized, right? You're you're being fined by the government for for owning that land. It it is. Truly, like the, and it is a negative incentive. It's, it's a perverse incentive. Like, why would I want to own land if I'm going to get punished by the government? Uh, but yeah, it's truly like, why, why, like, 
you can then take that and extrapolate it down to its like nth degree. It's like, well, am I going to be taxed for my cell phone? Am I going to be taxed for, you know, my, my, my cigarettes? Oh wait, you know, they, they are doing that. And that's, it's kind of like the, the precipice, the property tax, it gives them you know, that, that initial domino to, to push down, to start the entire chain of, of taxation. Right. And this one, I mean, cause we're going to get into talking about this, but I like, I think this is a really interesting one that we can use to connect with lefties because lefties typically, they, they don't care about property tax, right? They're like, I don't own a home. I'm renting. I have a landlord. Yeah. Tax his ass. Right. Right. Um, and forget about the fact that like, yeah, that's going to raise your rent. Consider the fact that a lot of these lefties, their, their parents or grandparents or great grandparents might have owned land that they might have inherited and still have today if it weren't for property taxes that they couldn't yep. afford because they got reassessed over, over the last hundred and something years, um, inheritance taxes that would have, that would have stripped that from them. Um, we had, um, uh, this is a, a, a perfect example in a personal story. Um, my, my grandparents, my, my grandfather had been working all his life. And it's funny because he would like sit there. He, he was kind of like a Bernie Sanders, like, Oh, these millionaires. But it was funny because he was actually a millionaire, but he wasn't like, you know, the evil capitalist. He was a carpenter. He just worked all his life saving and saving and saving and being smart with his money. And, you know, all, all that turned into to being worth over a million dollars. And he bought this house for probably $50,000 in Los Angeles that when by the, by the time they had both passed, it was worth about a million. Wow. And if we wanted to keep it in the family... So they, in California, they have like this, this, you know, you pay property tax based on the date that you bought it. So now it's worth like 20 times more than what they bought it. Our property tax would have been 20 times what they were paying. And it would have been something like $1,500 a month if we just wanted to keep that house in the family that had already been in the family for 40 years. Wow. It's absolutely insane. And we're not even talking inheritance tax or anything like that. So ultimately, we had to sell the house, which is a shame. Um, wow, that's uh, sad. Yeah, yeah, it, it it really fucking sucks. And I know a lot of the lefties are going to be like, yeah, well, you know, who cares about you? I still have to. I'm still struggling to pay my rent. And it's like, yeah, that's part of the that's the part of the problem. Come on, <laughs> exactly. I mean, and and here's the other thing too, because this plays into like this plays into like the minimum wage, right? So all this has been stripped away from me. That means I'm struggling just like you to pay my rent now. So now I have to compete with you for jobs, which means I'm going to be in the market. Well, I can work harder than him and I'll work for less than him. And so therefore all the wages come down. But imagine if all of these people who they hate because, oh, they've been saving and, and they can retire early. I hate those people. Let's, let's tax all the money. No, let them keep all their money. Let them leave the workforce. And now all the employers are like, oh, my God, it's so hard to find good work around here. I would pay $20 an hour if I could just find somebody who could flip burgers right. Like, hmm. that's that would happen. There it is. I mean, yes. not, for, not for burgers. They'd, they'd find robots for that, of course. But, um, but for all these other jobs, like, there are so many jobs that, like, if, if people left the workforce – like they they would be they would be fighting for more people to fill these jobs and they'd be willing to pay more now you'd probably have to be a little bit more responsible cuz you know they want they still want to get their money's worth right but the point is there would be they would be begging 
for you to work for them. Instead of right now, if you if you got to make your rent, you are begging them for the job and you're willing right. to take whatever they're paying. Exactly. Yeah. They have taken away the in, in learning to negotiate. What is your strongest bargaining chip? The ability to just walk away. Yeah, property no, for, tax for sure. Has stripped you of that. You can't even do yeah. it. Can't walk no away. autonomy. No autonomy whatsoever. No, you're 100% right, Dan. Man. All right, well, let's let's dive in. So you've been trying to crack the code. How do we get how do we get how do we deliver liberty to people who are not necessarily thinking about liberty? It's tough. It's tough. Um, and there is no right or wrong answer, right? Uh, it's what works. And what I've found has been working thus far has been really focusing on selling liberty. And, and I know there's like this like instant like gut punch when you hear the word sales. Uh, and I think that's just years of, of snake oil salesmen, you know, that kind of mentality, the used car salesman. But really, we, we kind of need to reclaim the identity that is sales and being a sales professional. And the reason being is because everything in life is sales at the end of the day. You're either, you're selling yourself, you're selling an idea, you're selling a product, a service, and, and you need to be able to instill value in whatever it is that you're selling to the consumer, right? So when we're talking about libertarians and libertarian ideals, we have to, to meet people where they're at in the conversation that they're already having in their own minds. And, and I think too often, libertarians, we've been really focused on making sure people know how right we are versus addressing the issues that really matter to people, right? So I'm looking they right just, now- They just jump right into the Federal Reserve. It's all the they Federal sure Reserve. <laughs> they sure, they, yeah, and, and you know what? There's, a, there's gonna be some folks that that argument, it definitely empathizes with them, right? And, and they'll listen, but it's gonna be a smaller fraction. And I would say that the people maybe who are, who are interested in the Federal Reserve argument, a majority of them probably already on board, but you need to meet people where they're at. Like, what, what's the issue? What's the bed bug issue that they have in their life? And I would say right, right now where we drop the ball across the board is, is talking about the lockdowns. And, and we're seeing it right now. I would love to see you know, Libertarian uh, Party headquarters take over this, this narrative away from the GOP and truly be the, the you know, individual liberty anti-lockdown party. Uh, we lost that argument in the 2020 election, and I don't understand why we're still letting it you know, run away, because this is an issue that's not just going to impact people in the immediate. This is going to have long-lasting negative consequences that are going to be destroying generations in the future. I mean, not only are we seeing generational wealth absolutely crumbling because of the lockdowns, destroying family businesses like restaurants and bars, but also we're seeing an uptick in, in other unintended health consequences. We're seeing an, an uptick in cancer cases because there's been a drop in cancer screenings. We've seen an increase in suicide, depression. We've seen drug overdoses skyrocket. So we are starting to see there's a very real number that we can associate to the deaths of unintended consequences as a result of policy that's been taken, or in some cases that has not been taken. But I would say more focused than not, it's been the lockdowns harming real people. And we need to be able to not only address that as essays libertarians, but by and large, we need to be able to look at any other issue, right? When you're talking to the demographic that you're talking to and really focus it is, and this is the Scott Horton approach, right? Meet you know, the left from the left and the right from the right. 
And you have to do that because if you're not, if you're not a, like if you're coming in trying to, to preach, you know, free market economics to somebody from the left, you're, you're instantly starting off on a completely different, you know, foundation of, of concepts right. of beliefs, right? Whereas if you're able to, to start, you know, with a conversation from somebody on the right who's maybe more, you know, sympathetic to free market principles, then you can at least try to, to, you know, peel back that onion and find where it is you have some common ground and then build on that common ground. But we don't get there by preaching to people. We get there by asking them about the things that matter to them and then taking that and applying liberty to their individual lives. Right. Exactly. And this is like, um, I, I always use this, uh, this reference. I don't know if you've seen, there's a Ted talk about the, the best pasta, pasta sauce. Um, no. Where, okay. So, um, I'll try to tell the short version of it. Ted talks are short anyway, but, uh, this guy was working for a marketing company, um, that like, it was like Prego or Ragu or like one of these really massive, um, pasta companies pasta sauces and they were trying to figure out they were like doing all this market research trying all these different combinations which pasta sauce can we put into that into that um testing room where every single person who tries it is going to say that's the one and they couldn't find one and what they figured what they realized was oh there is no perfect pasta sauce people different people have different tastes and so therefore we have to have 10 different pasta sauces and when people choose the ones that they like they'll say oh yeah i like cheese i like the cheesy one that's that one's good I like mushrooms. I like onions, like, like wh that, whatever, yeah. garlic. Um, and so that's what they do now. And this is the <laughs> same, this is the same model with, you know, you look at Doritos, you look at, you know, any, any of these, um, uh, any of these things you have. And it's really interesting how they, how they, uh, how they brand them too. And I've got a bag of chips here cause I was eating them cause I'm being a fat ass, but like they, like the different flavors have a different bag because they know like instinctually you're going to go you're going to go like, just like, oh, I remember the green bag. That's the one I like. It like, it like burns it into your brain. Didn't but Doritos the actually just do a commercial? So Doritos just did a commercial and the commercial had zero name or brand identification. So all they did was they had the bag. They had the red bag and the blue bag, right? And they didn't mention the name Doritos. They didn't have the actual logo. They just had the, the bags throughout the commercial. And the entire commercial was... The, focus on the fact that you know how is it that you know so much about this delicious you know cheesy chip based on just the bag alone that right there i think that's actually speaking exactly to what you're talking about because people do and think about it this actually extrapolates beyond bags of chips it goes to politics too you you have like this instinctual reaction to red team blue team that's why not only do right. you know you that the presidential colors have that but also you know when they're on stage and they're having the ties that, that's all entirely done on purpose you're, you're speaking to subtle things uh you know, dan brown he's um he's from the uk and he's i think he's an illusionist this is his official um title but there was a, an amazing uh series he used to do back in the uh, the mid 2000s i forget the name of the series it's driving me crazy but there was one um i'll call it a skit basically where basically he was going to bring in these marketing professionals and these marketing professionals uh were were you know driven from their um their hotel that he paid for for them he drove them to the um the, the studio and they they go through uh and he's like okay here's here's what you know that the campaign is right the campaign is going to be um it's going to be a uh taxidermy uh you know place for for you know people for their pets and and that's all he tells them so he leaves them with that information and 
they start, you know, crafting, uh, you know, they start drawing and, and they, they're you know, workshopping and, and trying to think of what they want to, uh, to, to, to do for the marketing campaign. They come to an agreement that they're going to do this, this like a stuff bear. And it's going to be near, near the gates of heaven uh, with little, you know, uh, rainbows in the background and, and angel wings. So they, they start to sketch this, this design about an hour or so goes by and Darren Brown or Dan Brown comes back in. And uh, he goes, okay, what'd you guys come up with? And they, they show him the design. And he goes, interesting. Here, let me show you what I had from my idea. And he flips open a notebook that he had, and it's almost a spitting image of exactly what they drew. And the guys, the, the marketing guys are all, oh, my God, what was that? And they, they cannot believe that that's exactly what they had come up with. So then at the very end of the video, they, they go back to the beginning from when they got into the car and they drove to the um, – the headquarters to do this this campaign and throughout the entire trip you'll see there are there are subtle drops of of little you know uh hints that are completely subconscious so they drove past um you know these pearly gates and they drove past uh you know the, the, this stuffed bear uh you know shop they drove past um this, this slogan actually they, they use is like where uh, where good pets go to heaven or something along those lines so here this this just this trip from point a to point b they planted enough seeds subconsciously in their minds that they were able to basically be completely right. brainwashed to do what he wanted to do. Now, we have to extrapolate this, that he is you know, an illusion of showing us what he's doing. There are professional people out there who this is what they do from a, you know, a, a true like marketing standpoint. Like You take this and you apply it to a marketing, and that's why we have such an emotional appeal when we do see – the, the red team and the blue team, the, the Republicans, Democrats. And, and frankly, Dan, it's, it's why I'd say the yellow team, we don't have too much of an appeal at all. We don't really have an emotional response because we haven't even gotten to the level that people are really truly paying attention to us. And, and I mean, candidly, like what, the last time we really had a, a national conversation about the candidate was Gary Johnson. And that wasn't for him being the most libertarian or, or I'd say um, the best candidate. It was because they were looking to for somebody, anybody beyond Trump and Hillary. And in some cases, they were trying to prop him up to, to take down Hillary Clinton. They were assuming he was going to take some votes from Trump. And then they started to realize, oh, no, he's taking votes from Hillary, too. Oh, we probably should change course. And then they elected him. And and that's that's exactly why I think we as libertarians, we need to, to stop relying on the media to be our advocates. They're not going to be. Now we can we can you know do what, what Spike Cohen did. We can do what Larry Sharp did on a New York state level, go to the, the local media and talk to the real people one-on-one, -on -one, which I think is absolutely important. But we're talking from a national perspective when we're having that national voice. We 1,000% need to have a cohesive message, and, and I think that cohesive message does need to be focused, yes, of libertarian principles, but it can't be it can't be out of left field libertarian principles. It has to be again focus on what people are talking about. So from national right now, again lockdowns, no questions asked. That should be the number one thing on top of people's minds. Also the economy, like that should be without a doubt one of the biggest issues. I mean the, the debt didn't just go away. Like the debt's still there. You know we we still have millions of people unemployed because of the lockdowns. There's going to be a long term implications that we need to deal with from that standpoint. So. Right now, I'd say, Dan, we're, we have a great opportunity because I think you know, right now we've had in the past some hesitation to even have conversations about alternative solutions. But we even see like Republicans are, and conservatives are pushing against this, this great reset, right, that's being pushed by some folks on the left. But like 
let's talk about it from the libertarian perspective. Like we have all the answers, right? And we, we, oh my goodness, you can go to every single libertarian group on Facebook and you can, you can find out just how right we are. Right. And the solutions that we have, and I'm, I'm confident and I'm sure you're confident as well that those solutions will work, but now it's on our, our roles to, to t help teach people, but we have to bring them in first to be, to be taught. So I would say, I, I encourage the, the, the salespeople to sell, bring people into the movement. And I encourage the teachers, the educators to help, like when we get libertarians here, to keep them here. I mean, Larry Sharp, he was just in my show here on, uh, today, actually, he's recording um, on Friday. And, and he's like, hey, I'm a recruiter. Like, let me recruit. But no, they're not going to be libertarian. I know that. I need you to help turn them full-blown libertarian like if we can get them all the way to, to ANCAP let's let's rock and roll right if I can have them wearing a taxationist theft hat by the end of the month like that's thumbs up because you guys did your job but like once I get them there I need you to help convert them into like a long-term client not just like that one-time vote and that's what we saw right four million votes two million votes they, they didn't stick around from 2016 and 2020 something right. happened right. right so we need to, we need to get that long-term voter and how we do that we build value and that again goes back to sales right well, and, and this is interesting, too, because you you look at, um, like, okay, sales and marketing is not so much, it, it's, it's not as direct as a lot of people think it is, right? So you have, um, for example, um, with, um, let's talk about the dairy industry, right? Mm. There were got milk ads. They were not advertising yes. any specific brand of milk. They were just advertising milk. And milk. so people would, you know, they'd do their grocery shopping and they'd buy more milk than usual because they're, they're like, you know, they associate a value with that, right? And they say, oh, right. milk makes your bones strong. All, you know, all this other shit, which turns out to be totally false. Um, but they're, they're pushing this, right? And, and this combined with um, messages from the FDA, Messages from the FDA are going into the schools telling us what a perfectly balanced diet should look like. And it just happens Your to food have pyramid. milk in there. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> this, this is – it's not just the commercials that's on TV. And, and this is really important because when people look at um, like libertarian, uh, libertarian campaigning, they like to think that, you know, oh, yeah, we, we just get out there and we campaign and then people are going to like us and that's going to be that, right? We just have to campaign harder. We need more money for more ads and all that. But that's not it at all. And what I'd like to see, because look at how, look at how these other guys are actually campaigning, right? They're, you have the special interest groups who are actually doing the groundwork. And this, the special interest group is how you, like, as you say, meet them where they are, right? Because there are people out there who all they care about is the minimum wage. Well, yep. there's a special interest group called Fight for 15, and they and all those people, they go there. They're extremely excited. They want to go out and protest. They're going to help spread the word. They're going to donate money. They're going to do all this stuff. But if it was just a Democrat, a Democratic candidate who said, "Yeah, I'm going to fight for $15 minimum wage," they're not going to get that many volunteers. They're not going to get that many donations or anything else. Because yeah, you want to fight for 15, but you also want to do a bunch of other stuff that I don't really understand. And and yeah, maybe I support that. Maybe I'll vote for you. But more importantly. I really want to give all my money to this fight for 15 group. Then you have black lives matter. You have the NRA, which is on the other side. You have like all these organizations, right? They're very single issue and you get people like that. And then these organizations partner with the politicians. And now all the politicians have to do 
is blow the dog whistle. Oh, yeah, fight for 15. Oh, yeah, Black Lives Matter. And everyone who supports those single-issue special interest groups is now, oh, well, I've been saying Black Lives yep. Matter. I've been saying fight for 15. I've been saying all gun laws are unconstitutional. No, the NRA doesn't say that. I've been saying these things over and over and over again, and now there's a politician who agrees with me. Oh, my God, yep. they're already, you're already sold on this politician because of the special interest groups, and you don't even know it. Yep. You think some politician just came along and was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to support I, – I believe in the same things as you. No, this is all according it's, – it's, and, and like you say, like about this illusionist, you have the illusionists who are willing to come out and say, like, yeah, um, you know, this, this, is how I, this is how I manipulated you. But then you also have all these other illusionists doing, to the, doing this to us right now and just being completely quiet about it. So yep. it's happening. We're being manipulated, and we don't even know it unless we see it. And it's hard to, it's, it's hard to see it because, I mean, you can, you can look and say, well, is that a coincidence? Maybe this, maybe this new person came along and they really did just support. Like, oh, yeah, that sounded like a good idea. Um, or maybe there's some back backdoor deal going on with, like, you know, money shuffling around and all this other stuff. Um, but this is my, – my point is if the Libertarian Party started doing this, like, because we, we have a lot of really great positions. Yeah. But we have so many people that come to the Libertarian Party, and they're like, well, I came here – because uh, because I wanted to legalize weed, but but what's all this stuff about gay rights? Or yep. I came here because I wanted lower taxes, but what's all this stuff about legalizing weed? Like that's that's the thing, right? Yep. But if we get yep. people, if if we get and 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 this is the difficult thing too, or I guess this is this would be our this would be our advantage if we started to do this is the the. The special interest groups that are out there right now are very Democrat, very Republican. They're very divisive on purpose. They want to repulse the other side. Whereas a libertarian solution, a libertarian solution that says, no, we want everybody to earn a living wage, but that doesn't mean forcing employers to pay a certain amount. That means eliminating taxes so you actually get to keep the money you earn. That means lowering the cost of living. Things that neither side can have an objection to. Right. Then you're winning both. You, you're winning, you know, people from both sides. It's still not the entire. You're not getting the entire audience. You're still getting a niche, but it's a niche that does not repulse anybody. So now, when you blow that dog whistle, right? If if Bernie Sanders gets on TV and says, "Yeah, fight for 15," he's going to win one side and he's going to repulse the other side. But now, if if um, if a libertarian gets on TV and says, "Yeah, we're going to make." Um, we're going to make the, the, the cost of living more affordable. And there is a special interest group that has been promoting what this actually means. That dog whistle right there is now heard by the left and the right. And they're both like, oh, yeah, that's okay. And yep. even if they don't agree with it, they're not repulsed by it. Yeah. And so yeah. now you, you do that, you blow four or five dog whistles, and you have everybody. And that doesn't come from like, oh, we've got this new person and they're going to start campaigning. No, it's these it's it's as a group. We have to be pushing these ideas the whole time. Yes. Through all these different channels. Yes. Well, so this is this has been partly why I've been having so many diverse voices over on my show, because like I I think maybe too often than not. We have this mentality of like there's like this two camp, right? The LP should be the education camp. The LP should be the, the electoral camp for policy, right? 
and and it's like it, it, it instead of being like it's uh it's funny i just <laughs> it's funny I'm, I'm thinking about this right now i did a star wars podcast with Stephen ken coming up here this friday where we just talked about this right now with like the jedi and sith um and like talking about like how the jedi had this like crazy mentality that like to bring balance to the force it meant destroying all the sith and it's like that's not balance right so like that's what you see right now. Instead of having like this this yin and yang, where it's you you have to have like that that kind of like a give and take, it it ends up being like this all or nothing approach. So what happens is you have um, some folks who are like entirely focus on electoral politics, and then you have twenty sixteen happen, and then nobody sticks around. But then you have some people who are more focused on building up actual libertarian branding and, and you know activism, right? And then that I would say maybe we're gonna see some people stick around longer from Joe Jorgensen, right? Fingers crossed. And and we're seeing, I think, right now, more of an approach to say we need to have both. And, and I just had Larry Sharp here on the show today, and we discussed this just this, activism versus being a candidate. There is a role for both, but you can't be both at the same time. Only very rarely can that work. So the difference, right, is is to your point, Dan, you have the, the fight for 15 folks, right, or you have, you know, the, the, the you know, uh, pro pro life folks uh what is it march for life folks like if that's your one issue right you're an activist and if you're trying to to, to get into that world right then then you're going to be digging into that activist role and you're going to be focusing on that one issue but you're going to be start pr approaching it from a libertarian perspective right but the candidate's job is not to be an activist the candidate's job is to get attention right so when you're a candidate it's going to come across to your activists as they're not pure enough. They're not radical enough, right? They need to be screaming the radical message, which is true to an extent, though, because what, there's like a, a level where we have to remember we're, we're like at a 10 and your average person is like, like a negative two. So we have to at least like bring our message down to like a six or a five just to even like be in the ballpark of them paying attention to us. Because otherwise we turn to the guy in the corner of the street with the blowhorn screaming at people as they walk by. And that just doesn't win people's attention. I think actually you and I discussed this when you were on my show um, back when you were running, right? So I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to see more of – and again, we, have, we now have the educational pieces in place. We have the activist roles in place. I'm not – I don't care if you're a Cato person or a Mises person, right? We have those kind of like institutions that are there to help the educational part, build up the activist base. Awesome. And then the activists be activists. But then also we need to let the, the, the candidate roles be candidates, but, but be true to the principles that the activists are speaking about. But activists also know they can't, you know, go full, full on, you know, level 10 libertarianism. You can't do that. It's not going to be able to, to resonate. And I hear everybody say, well, Ron Paul did it. Well, Ron Paul pretty much is like what? The only libertarian that we've been able to identify in the past 40 years that pretty much coalesced everybody for, albeit a short time. He, he did coalesce us. There was a unifying figure, a leader of some sort. And now we see it fizzle apart again. So I'm hoping that we're going to see an understanding and a fundamental understanding, right? That we need to have this yin and yang. We can't have the Jedi crushing the Sith. You need to have the balance in the force, right? No, we don't need a Ray with her yellow lightsaber, but we do need to, <laughs> to have an understanding that because you are an activist, that does not mean that you cannot, you cannot support a candidate, right? That does not scream your ideals, but to the contrary, just because you're a candidate and you don't want to necessarily, you know, be 100% a radical. That doesn't mean you just shun those 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 different voices away. You need to have them as a part 
of your coalescing base. And I think that's where, you know, we need, as libertarians, we need to be focused on building more coalitions within libertarianism, within our, our own libertarian circles to begin with. Because right now, we don't have enough people in our ranks to, to be so divisive and so so rigid in our, in our you know, who is allowed in our club to be pushing people out. You know, I don't expect everybody to be a perfect libertarian when they start, you know, investigating into libertarianism. That's That's expected. Like, was anybody a pure libertarian ever when they were born? I don't think so. And, and if you were, like, God bless you. Like, I think you're the only one. But that's the point is we need to make sure that we're not approaching people the way that we would not have wanted been approached when we are starting our libertarian journey. We need to be those people who are willing to say, hey, listen, hold my hand. I'm going to walk you through. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little intense. You know, we're going to go a couple down rabbit holes, some Ron Paul videos about him leaving Congress and stuff. It's going to be good. But We'll get you through this, and I'm going to hand you off to some really good people who are going to teach you about the really nitty-gritty stuff. Like, like if you want to start going in, you know, down whatever rabbit hole. You want to go about, talk about the Federal Reserve? You you go ahead and you give them Ron Paul's book. You want to go ahead and talk about um, name it, right? You want to talk about the the uh, anatomy of the state? You give them some Rothbard. You want to talk about um, you know uh, what market principles? Give them some uh, some Hayek. I don't care, or or, or Milton Friedman. I, like we need we need to be building these coalitions instead of fighting each other. And because right. honestly, like what's it, what does it solve if like you're right? Oh, great. Who, I don't want to be the king of people being right. Like I want to actually see people get liberty enacted in their in their lives because we know the value of it. We know it makes people's lives better. So like put our personal vanity aside. Stop trying to be right all the time. Like, great. If you're right, thumbs up. I'll say you're right too, but help me advance liberty. Let's actually get some stuff done. Right. And you make a lot of good points here. And, you know, I, I want to, I'm always knocking on libertarians too, but you know, there's, there's, um, you know, to, to say, to say, well, Ron Paul did it. Yeah, he did it. He also did it as a Republican, which if any libertarian does that, they're like automatically, oh, you're a bad person. You're a deserter. You're, you're, you know, you don't even support, you're not a real libertarian, right? Yep. Um, and, and it's like, and it's like, but he did it. And, and you look at, um, uh, Aria, uh, Demezio, who ran for sheriff in a constituency that absolutely hated her for it. She's a, she's a total, um, I, I think she calls herself an anarchist, um, ran for sheriff as a Republican and got, and got, or at least she won the primary. So she's now the official, uh, officially the Republican candidate. Um, and it's like, it, it worked. And not only that, she got a shit ton of attention over that. Um, and it's like, it's like, this stuff works. Like we, we need to stop, like, you know, it, it's, it's, and it's ironic too, because you look at, you know, you look at like some people, oh, you can't fix it from the inside, so don't join the Republican Party. And well, it's like, well, then why does the Libertarian Party exist at all if you can't fix it from the inside? Because they're just trying to do it at a different level to a different right. organization. Yeah. We, we can't um, fix it from the inside, but we're going to fix government from the inside. Gotcha. Yep. Right. But And, and at yeah. the same time, to anyone who even says you can't fix it from the inside, since, since you already brought up Star Wars, the Death Star was an inside <laughs> job. It was, exactly. I've, and if you're a conspiracy theorist, 9-11 was an inside job. Like, Try telling a termite. Jones, you cannot take, yeah, you cannot take <laughs> down that house from the inside, and the termite comes along and says, "Hold my beer," right? Like, <laughs> it, I, you can do a lot from the inside. The problem is one, getting your foot in the door, and two, getting your foot in the door and then actually sticking to what you were going to do, or getting enough people in the door to to help you. Um, which, yeah, it's not an easy task. Um, the Trojan horse. I mean, 
so many examples where yes you can if you can get inside you can do some damage but that's the yeah. trick is getting inside well look at thomas massey right like thomas massey belly of the beast he is a small l libertarian as a republican and he's got a lot of flack i mean i know uh former chairman sarwick was going after him back when he was uh you know at the time um running i think for a re-election uh and i think it was something a little snipe he had there um because uh, Massey was going after Liz Cheney because Liz Cheney endorsed his uh, primary opponent. And it's, it's like, why are we going after our one, like one of our few allies that we have, who's a small right. libertarian in Congress. And yet, and yet Thomas Massey, like if we did not have Thomas Massey in Congress, would we have seen all the politicians go back to Congress and vote on that initial spending bill? So now we have names next to the vote. I don't think so. But like, Am I not libertarian for acknowledging that, that that was done by a Republican? Like, I'm sorry. Like, that's that's just objective fact. And I, I think it's I mean, like, am I a bad libertarian for saying that good job, Rand Paul, for keeping us out of war in Iran? Like, I'm sorry. I, I don't think that that's a bad thing. And like, we do have to, like, let libertarians know the dirty little secret. Politics is a real thing. It's going to happen whether we're playing the game or not. And actually, I think it's Jason Stapleton who brought this up. He's like, that's why, like, you know, his show is wealth, power, and influence because, like, people are influencing you as it is. Like, you should be a person who knows how to influence others because it's happening right now. So shouldn't you be using it for good? Like, it, it is right. like, yes, we have personal autonomy, but we also have personal responsibility. You know, like, we have, we have to take initiative. And lead by example, because if we're not leading by example, then like, what are we doing? Like, again, are we just trying to be right in our little echo chambers? Like, I truly see this, Dan. We're, we're seeing right now social media is, is breaking us apart into these little silos. And, and this is really scary because once you go into these little silos and, and like the, the doors close, like you're not talking to people anymore. You're talking to your hive. And when you're talking to your hive, Groupthink is a really dangerous, dangerous uh, psychological, uh, I call it really a psychological disease because bad ideas, just because they have a 50 plus 1% approval from that group, come policy. And then when they become policy, they start to have you know real implications on the other 49% that didn't vote for it. And that's really scary because then those hives start to get more and more segregated. And that's, it's, you have all these little individual hives and like, what's again, what's the point? Like, are we supposed to like, are we encouraging that? Like to go into this weird segmented world? I hope not because like we have to live with each other. I, I, I dare say that's what we're supposed to be aiming for. Like how do we live right. with each other and co I mean, I, it, the ironic coexist bumper sticker, you know, on the, the van that's on fire. Right. But like yeah. at the same, like <laughs> I, I want to be tolerant but I also like need you to let me like, let like you yourself need to tolerate. Like it needs to be again, that give and take, we can't have it be all or another. And, and I think it starts with us leading by example, trying to get people kind of back to having conversations versus entering these, these it's like, you shouldn't always be going to look for a debate, right? Like that, that, what does that accomplish? If you're going in guns a blaze, like I, I, and going back to sales, right? I have never seen a good sales call start out by saying, let me tell you why the solution you have in place right now sucks, right? Like that does not work. Cause then you're like, you're attacking almost that person. Cause that person probably made that decision right. to buy right. that. Right. <laughs> and the same thing is true. when you're like, I'm going to start this conversation by debating you. You're instantly starting off by saying, I think you're wrong. And it's like, how about this? Let's maybe rewind. And let's start asking some questions to figure out where we actually agree. And we, maybe we're both right. 
and then build on those things that were right and find out where the separation happens. And I'm going to almost guarantee nine times out of 10, you're going to find that the, the point where the person like breaks off towards, you know, whatever it is that they end up, it's something that happened in their life. It's their lived experience. And I know we, we see, you know, too often people say we can't just keep talking about lived experiences and empathy because, you know, it, it, it leads you down a, a path that's talking way too much about, you know, feelings and it's not based on reality. But like at the end of the day, people's lived experiences, it frames their worldview and it frames how they interact with their, their communities, their environments, and also each other. And, and if we're not acknowledging that that fundamental reality is something that like all of us experience, then like we're ignoring what it means to be human and how we understand and learn from each other. So like we have to you know, get, again, get out of the mindset that we're just right and have to ask again, what it is that is making people tick? Why do you believe what you believe? And then we, again, we had to peel back that onion. We kind of reconstruct the argument and get the person to help realize that maybe there's something that they didn't necessarily see before that now they see. Like we, <laughs> we have to plant a seed of liberty, but when you plant a seed, it's not gonna grow overnight. Like that's not how it works. You can't just like say like, I got you. And now you're a libertarian because I was right. Like that's not how it works. When you see that like, you had that aha moment, like you had to step away and let them process it on their own. And again, it, it goes back to like, we just can't be going into these conversations wanting to be right. We have to be wanting to actually make like long lasting change, be it through policy, be it through getting people to vote the way we want them to vote, to think the way we want them to think. But again, it goes back to building value, meeting people where they're at and actually engaging in trying to, to be problem solvers instead of just telling people why we're right. Right. And uh, you know, Going back to, um, oh man, I, I have so many things to say about what you just said, but uh, um, let me try to touch a couple, but then I, I want to go to, um, um, to you know, the, the, the feelings of sales. But um, yeah. so, so I, first I want to touch on the, the, the point that you said about, you know, the internet separating us into hives, which is really interesting because we were, we were kind of already separated into hives before the internet, like you got everyone in Los Angeles living in Los Angeles, everybody in Iowa living in Iowa and hardly ever communicating with each other. And then the internet yeah. comes along and all of a sudden we've got friends all over the world, which is amazing. But now it's like we're being separated ideologically um, instead of geographically into, into these separate little clusters. And then when we go out in the world, it's like, okay, yeah, we might not talk about politics when we go out to buy our groceries. We just say, hi, how's it going? How's the weather? And, and you know, you see somebody wearing a MAGA hat and you, you get triggered and it's like, oh my God, that person shouldn't <laughs> exist in, in my universe. Um, it's, it's, it's so like, true. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely insane. Um, but but that that does help facilitate that, and I think to to some extent we probably were healthier when we when we weren't in those when we were in the geographic bubbles because at least in the geographic bubbles the the communities that were we were in were still pretty diverse and we still had had diverse conversations in different people which which brings me to the point about being open minded we always have to be open minded and like I'm I'm constantly doing this and reminding myself to question everything that I do. Every time I say taxation is theft and like somebody actually like challenges me on that, I actually listen to their question and question myself. Is it possible yep. that I'm wrong? And every time I come to the conclusion, no, taxation is absolutely still theft. But yeah, they do have a really good point. This other thing that they're talking about is a really interesting problem that is being solved with taxes. And if we got rid of taxes, it would make that problem worse. So right. maybe we have to figure out a way that I can help to solve that problem. And that goes into what you're talking about. Like we, we have to be, we have to be engaged and we, we have to be leaders. Um, yes. 
because there are so many there are so many libertarians and anarchists who are just like, well, that's not my job. I don't want to be a leader. I don't want to have to teach people this and that. And it's like, okay, that's that's fine. You can just that's, <laughs> you know that's not your obligation. You don't have to do anything. Right. But do you want to live in a world with a bunch of people who want to run around stealing your shit? And do you really want to to have the threat that if the dollar collapses because the Federal Reserve overprinted one day? that you're going to be on your front porch wondering if you've got enough bullets for like this like zombie apocalypse of people coming to steal all the food that you have in your refrigerator. Like, do you want to deal with that? Or would you rather just spend like, you know, five minutes of your spare time or just, you know, walk around with a taxation theft hat or, you know, do whatever, do what little piece you can just to spread a little bit of knowledge and make the world a little bit more free so that you won't have to come to that. And I know some people kind of fantasize about getting to that point and how awesome it's going to be. Um, it's not going to be, it, it won't be, <laughs> yeah. I promise. Um, but, but then, okay. So then I also want to talk about the, the feeling of sales because we're talking about, we're talking about how do we get people interested in this idea of Liberty. Right. And yep. um, there, there was a, there is this great um, uh, uh, neurological researcher who, who did this amazing study. Um, uh, uh, I can't think of the name or anything, but you can, you can Google it and find it pretty easily. Where basically there was they did a they did a study on groups of people who had the part of their brain that that controls their emotions had had been damaged and they they had no emotions and they asked them to make simple decisions would you prefer chocolate or or vanilla ice cream which one of these cars is better for you and right. they would give them like ones that's economical and one that's a sports car or something like that right and right. they they could not. They could not even say this or that. They would just sit there staring, I can't decide. And what they realize <laughs> is that we make every single decision is absolutely emotional. Yeah. And to anybody who says, no, I'm a perfectly logical person. All of my decisions are made logically. No, that is an emotion that you have. <laughs> yes. That's like, that's like, I'm in love with being a logical person and yep. I can justify yep. every single decision I make with logic. But the reality is, if, if it's chocolate or vanilla, you can, you can make all – like, I picked vanilla. You can make a million rational explanations as to why you picked vanilla. Oh, if I spill it on the floor, it's not going to be as messy. Or, you know, it's not – like, you can come up with a million reasons. But the same thing is true of chocolate. You can come up with a million different reasons. And so all you're doing – all you're doing is you're you're trying to justify an emotional decision that you already made. So now when we're talking about liberty and we're talking about like how do we get people to fall in love with this idea of liberty, right? Because there are two things in sales and marketing that they teach you, which is fear and fear and sex, right? I mean, not directly sex. They always say sex sale, sex sells, but what is what is sex? It's, it's just pleasure, right? And so what are you selling? You're either selling fear or pleasure. That's it, right? Why, when have you ever bought anything except for fear or pleasure, right? Anything. Think about it. When have you bought? Oh, you, brought a, you bought a new car? That was pleasure. Felt good, didn't yep. it? Oh, uh, you, you took your car to the repair shop and you bought new brakes? Oh, they might have told you, well, if you don't fix these now, you're gonna, your brakes are going to fail and you're going to fall. You run off the road. Like yep. fear and pleasure. These are the two things. And so when a lot of politicians right now, they're using fear, right? Oh, don't vote for the other guy because he's going to he's, he's gonna destroy the economy and kill your mother. So vote for me, right? That's yep. fear versus pleasure, 
vote for me, I'm going to give you $15 an hour. I'm going to give you free health care. I'm going to give you free education. That's pleasure. So what are the libertarians doing? Because the libertarians mostly like to say, oh, Federal Reserve. Well, which is fear a little bit. Um, but that's not really connected to me, is it? Because, like, right. if the Federal Reserve is, like, overprinting inflation, I don't have a lot of money in savings. Am I really going to, like, like, yeah, it's, it's, these are evil guys, and I want to see them go away, but how does this really affect my voting decisions? Um, it's, that, that does not affect my day-to-day -day decisions. But, like, I can, I can be pissed off as hell about the Federal Reserve, but I got to go to my job tomorrow, and they're paying me seven, seven bucks an hour. And Bernie Sanders is telling me he's going to give me 15. Well, that's a more immediate concern. That's a, that's a more attractive pleasure to me or a more, um, a more real fear of having to pay my rent um, than, you know, the Federal Reserve, which is so distant and so huge that even if I voted for a libertarian, it's probably not going to change anything. So if you really want to get these people and win them over, you have to start offering them something that they can look at and say, yeah, wait, this actually makes sense, and it affects me directly. It's something I very intimately, closely care about that, that directly affects my life, and it's not that big of a thing that we can actually probably change it. And this is why they say vote, you know, we, we have better luck in the local elections because, because yeah, those are, those are, it doesn't take, like, oh, we can get this guy elected with only 5,000 votes? Okay, well, right. let's do that, and let's, let's, let's try this out. Let's see if it works. Um, Okay, I think I, I think I covered all, all my points there, but um, <laughs> I didn't see. I hate doing this. Like when you're when you're going off and you're like naming all these like amazing things, I'm like, okay, I don't want to interrupt, man, because like I don't know no, where I, he's going, but this is good stuff. <laughs> trust me, I, I the same thing happens to me on my show because like I, I'll have a guest on and they'll be going through and I, I ask. <laughs> so when I ask a question, it's not not like a yes or no question or like a you know a quick little like here's a quick aside. It's it's like a here's a 13 part question that I'm going to break down. And also each 13 parts has like, like three ABC parts <laughs> to it as well. And, and the guest is always like, wow, that's a lot to break down. I'm like, I know I'm sorry, but no, I completely empathize. But like the reality is, is that at the end of the day, like everything we're doing, we have to acknowledge there is that good feeling to it. Right. And I was actually just talking about this. Um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. I forget who was, who was on my show. And I, was, I brought this up, but like, even when you help the old lady cross the street, like you might think like I'm doing that out of the kindness of my heart, but like, no, you're doing it because like, you know, it's the right thing to do and doing the right thing makes you feel good. So to your point, yes, right. it's the pleasure it, you're, you're triggering that pleasure center. And actually it goes beyond just like a thought, like, you know, pleasure versus fear. There's actually like hormones that are, that are, you know, related to this, like your, your dopamine center, when you, you enact pleasure, the, the receptors go off and your body's like, Ooh, that felt good. Right. And, and that's, and that's partly, I think what we have to also address when we're, we're all drug addicts. we are, <laughs> everybody's doing some type of drug when they wake up in the morning, whether it's coffee or, or just pleasure receptors, you know, at the end of the day, we need to not acknowledge that that's, that is how it, it really, we all function. So if we're libertarians to your point, right? Like how do we, how do we relate to the people? Like, again, lockdowns, fear, you're going to like, you think the government has the right to tell you that your job isn't essential. And with that, that your your what your family's life isn't essential, like I'm sorry, that's not the case. And that's and I I would dare say that your average person would be empathetic to that argument. Then and to the pleasure center, hey, listen, 
and I, I every time Andrew Yang will say like, I think we need to give another thousand dollars to to the American people every single month. I'm like, how about you you stop taking a thousand dollars from my paycheck every single month? Let's start there. Like, let's just do the inverse of it. Can we start there? Is it like a, a, a you know common you know common starting off point? And like that's the argument we need to have because that's an like oh more money in my paycheck because they're not taking it from it to begin with. And like I think again we can start to make those those again pleasure receptor arguments, but again it's focusing on the things that actually matter to the person, right? And what's gonna again, be your bed bug problem. What's the main thing that's bothering the most? If we can solve that problem, we are then going to be their trusted confidant. So I just had on my show, Kevin Vallier. He's an associate professor of, of uh, oh my goodness, associate professor of philosophy. There we go. Over in a Bowling Green uh, University. And he just wrote a book called Trust in a Polarized Age. And um, it's funny because I, I've been seeing this reoccurring theme uh, over the past few weeks in my show that trust. We um, are, are a society that's fundamentally lacking in trust. And libertarians have a great opportunity right now to be trusted advisors because people are looking, and this is just a sad reality, and I forget who uh, did this this uh, interview. There was a lady that was on, and I, I think she was talking to a, a Catholic priest, and um, she, she was you know, saying you know, when, what she wanted out of life. And, and she ended up like breaking down in her, her going through what she wanted because it ended up she wanted to be told what to do. She wanted to be told who to love, who, who, to, who to vote for, what to believe, you know, you know what to, to wear, what to, to eat, because she felt that everything that she had done for her own deciding in life ended up being wrong. And it ended up not getting her in the, the, the position she wants. And, and she even acknowledged in her, her you know, breaking down as she's going through this that she knew that the people that she's asking for the help and the guidance, that they're full of shit too. That they're giving you know, fake suggestions or, or fake advice just to keep the masses happy. But they're doing it because these people, they reflect that, well, they have a good life or you know, they, they, they say that they know what they're talking about. We're trusting the experts. And I, it's sad because your average person does kind of want, they have that desire to like, hey, can you just like tell me what's going on, right? And I think we have a chance now to be that trusted advisor. But it requires us to, to initially enter into their lives as, again, the person who's going to solve that bed bug problem. What, what it is it that's going to be bothering them? And how can we apply libertarian principles to that bed bug problem? So I challenge libertarian candidates or libertarian activists. Like, if you're in your community and you know that, like, your biggest issue is, like, the trash collection in your community and it's, like, you know, you, you have rats running around because the trash is not getting collected, then make that, like, if you're a libertarian candidate, that is your issue. You are the, the trash collection on time guy. Like that is your every campaign is focused around you talking about that. Because guess what? Whether you're left, you're right, I don't care what you are, you're gonna be like, he's got a point. Like the trash collection is a big issue. And at the very least, you will then raise enough attention that it starts to get talked about. And then when it's being talked about, then we can offer solutions, right? But and, and I Kind of that's why Trump is so you know brilliant sometimes in his tweets because his tweets make people talk about things that they otherwise wouldn't be talking about, right? I think that right now, while we are a smaller party, that is the Libertarian Party's role. We have to kind of be like the party that keeps 
the, the Republicans and Democrats talking about the things that they probably wouldn't otherwise talk about. Republicans, get them talking about free market economics, especially now with Biden being president, I, I think, going into 2021, right? Get them talking about free markets and, and keeping them fiscally conservative. And if you're going for more of the left, keep those Democrats on, on criminal justice reform. Get them folk, get them to focus on, on qualified, ending qualified immunity. Like, make that an issue that we're going to push, push them on and make those bug, uh, bed bug issues things that we can coalesce on. Because then when we can plant our seed of, of messaging into those respective communities, we're building trust with them. And then when the time comes that like they start to say, okay, listen, I see that things aren't working in name. You know, if you're talking to a left, you're like, I know the economics right now aren't working. And I know that we agree on this and talk to me about the economic stuff. Like I, I, I trust you on this. Talk to me about this. That's where we're going to have inroads, but it doesn't start until we build that level of trust. And it, it again, requires us, entering into those conversations, trying to be genuinely like curious and how we can help solve those problems and then actually offer lasting solutions. Right. Um, and so there, there's a couple things that I picked up on here. And so one, you talk about experts coming in and people not like there's this people get stuck, right? They don't they're, they don't want to make decisions. And this is this is a fear, right? People are afraid to make the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. But if there's an expert somewhere that's going to tell them, oh, no, 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 this is the right decision, people will – it's not that they're necessarily blindly following them, even though that, that does happen. But it's, it's easier for them to do something when the you – know, what, what's the, what's the um, possible repercussions of that is it's the wrong decision. Somebody needs to be held responsible. Well, if I didn't make the, mis the decision and I'm following somebody else's decision, I'm not going to be held responsible. Right. They give me the wrong information. They're going to be held. So it, it relieves the, the responsibility for myself, which makes it an easier decision to be made, which, yep. uh, you know, and, and this is this is one of the we're always talking about self-responsibility with, within libertarians. But um, I think it's really, really important to to acknowledge that that this is what's going on. Um, and it, it's I, I want to say this, too, um, that. You know, as as we're having this conversation, I just realized something that's like, you know, it, it's like totally going to change, you know, my direction in, in how I try to pitch things too. And this is this is what I mean by like always question yourself and always question if what you're doing is right. Because as we're talking about like like um, um, fear and pleasure, is I find pleasure in defying the government. So when the when the mm. governor comes on TV and says, "Oh yeah, uh, you have to wear a mask." I was in the airport in um, in uh, Houston for a layover, and like as I'm walking through the airport on the speakers, they say they say like uh, the governor has passed uh, an executive order that all residents must wear masks, blah blah blah. And I was like, well, I'm not a fucking resident, so I guess I don't have to wear it. Um, and it's it's interesting because the government really specifically chooses the right words for these things a lot of times. Um, yep. You know, they don't they don't just say like, why wouldn't they just say everybody like somebody actually decided we're going to say residents instead, yep. which is bullshit. But I find pleasure in saying, hey, you know what? Your executive orders don't apply to me in the first place because that's not what an executive order is, not a law. And right. yes, you're going to order people in your chain of command to wear masks, but you can't order me to wear a mask. Um, so I find pleasure in finding ways to defy the government, but to other people. That's a very scary proposition. Yep. So while I can be saying here like, oh, yeah, this is amazing. You got to try this. 
they're just hearing like, oh my God, this guy's crazy. Like, uh, I better get, I, I better take a few steps back in case like the FBI kicks the door down and starts shooting at him any, any minute now. Um, and, and I think we have to realize that as libertarians that when, whenever we're trying to say things like this, um, and I know like we, like it's, it's really hard for me to even put myself back in that position. But I remember like the first time when I was just like, I was looking online for like, uh, I, I remember like I heard it was at a, it was at what that Trump, uh, that Trump Academy thing. They were having a thing and like this guy was like teaching, oh yeah, I'm going to, uh, you know, give me $5,000 and I'll, I'll teach you how to, how to not pay taxes. And then this, this old guy gets up with his cane and he's like, ah. he's like, income tax is unconstitutional. And he storms out of the room. And so I was like, well, fuck this. I, I went to go follow that guy. I didn't find him, but I was like on the internet for the rest of the week, you know, income tax, unconstitutional, trying to find whatever I could. And I remember, like, even being afraid to type that into Google. Like, yeah. oh, my God, they're tracking all this shit. I remember being afraid. I remember, like, making posts on social media and, like, being afraid to uh, being afraid to share videos that were, like, on YouTube. Like, like Zeitgeist and, like, and, like the, the Freedom to Fascism document. Like, that was real fear. And now I understand that there's really nothing to be afraid of. So I can go out here and say all these things. And I totally forget how fearful I was and that all these other people that I'm talking to will, they still have that same fear. And we have to, we have to help them over that. And this is kind of like, you know, your point about being, you know, up here at 10 and they're down there at negative two. Like, yeah, if they see me coming, they see Alex Jones coming, they're like, oh my God, keeping my distance here. Um, we, we definitely yeah. do need to, to ease that fear. And, there's a lot of information and education that goes into getting people over that hump of fear. Um, it's not like you're going to sit there and have a five second conversation with them. I mean, it's like, you know, um, to, Hey, come with me, jump in, fly this airplane. People are going to be scared shitless, but if they go yeah. through like a few classes, if they fly a couple times with like an instructor next to them, like, that's going to get them over that hump of fear, but there's nothing you could say to a person in five minutes that that's going to convince them with absolutely no knowledge on how to even turn the plane on that he can jump in there and fly the thing. He'd yep. be scared shitless. So I, I think that's, that's, that's a great analogy, but like, I, I think this is absolutely important. Um, yeah, for sure. And uh, really quick too, like that's why people care about a resume, like for better or for worse, like people are looking at their politicians and they want to see what you've done. And, and like, that's why we, it, again, I'm not saying that that's how it should be, but that's how it is right now, especially in the, the, you know, duopoly we have for our political system. So like, instead of pretending that that shouldn't be like, that shouldn't be the case. And we're just going to like, like fight through it. Like, okay. But like, we actually need to like take that into consideration when we're running candidates. Right. And like, we have to be different when we're running local and like, let the local candidates when they get elected, build the resume like go from like dog catcher to school board school board to city council to county legislator to assembly state senate and then all of a sudden people in your community know that they can trust you right they they're like hey yeah that bob the state senator that's bob the dog catcher who went through 
all those different roles. And I know Bob, the dog catcher, because Bob, the dog catcher was, you know, my next door neighbor, right? That's how you build up the, the credibility and the trust that honestly, we absolutely need to build with people from an electoral standpoint, especially. So, I mean, I, you know, we, we need to encourage people to, to really run local, but when you're running local, again, focus on those bed bug issues for your communities and actually offer real lasting liberty solutions to those bed bug problems, become the trusted advisor, build the resume, and then that will set us up for actually like real lasting electoral success. And, and we're going to see it happen sooner rather than later. We had like how many um, head-to-heads against uh, incumbent um, duopoly candidates? We had Ricky Dale Harrington Jr. go against Tom Cotton, solo, uh, mano a mano in, in Arkansas. You had Todd Hagopian go against, I forget the gentleman's name, but for Oklahoma Corporation Commission, uh, one-on-one. Uh, and we've seen this, right? Whenever we have the, the one-on-one candidates, we at least are able to get our names out there tom cotton didn't even want to debate ricky on stage so ricky had a pretty much an entire c-span you know campaign ad and i mean like good good for ricky that's an opportunity for us to talk to people about the bed bug issues so like when we have those chances goodness take advantage of it um and then in the meantime use folks like you know myself like you who have platforms to get to get our message out there take you know that's why i, I have like local candidates on my show I'm like here get your your opportunity to get like your your pitch out there to people because i know how hard it is to get your message out there beyond the, the media like and i get really frustrated when there are libertarian candidates who are like ah, i'm not gonna go on a podcast i'm like okay good luck getting into your your local paper for that one ad right whereas you can take this and you can grab a soundbite and you can make that a, a viral campaign ad um you can you can sponsor it on facebook and, and reach thousands more eyes but again it's a it's we have to we have to change the way also, you know, from podcasts and stuff, the way that we're presenting ourselves. So, you know, folks, if you're running for office, don't look at campaigns. Uh, your campaign is like above podcasting. Like that's exactly where you need to be going because not, not only are podcasts like, you know, being, uh, you know, the, the growing mountain of millions of downloads that they are every single month, it's expected to exponentially rise over the next 10 years. So like you're going to see that the folks who are like building those relationships now and like getting the inroads with, with audiences, that's going to give them more of a chance to, to build trust. And that's why like Joe Rogan, like I, I cannot encourage folks enough like to, to try and get friends to listen to podcasts like him, right? Because he's bringing on folks who I don't care if you're hundred percent, you know, Larry Sharp or Dave Smith, but they're both, you know, great voices for, for libertarianism. And he had them both on how many other like millions and millions of download plus podcasters or just voices out there in the media are actively having libertarian voices on for like three-hour conversations that allow us to really dig deep into candidly conversations that need that time i mean how often do we see you know three minutes you know you have uh you know dave smith will be on uh, fox and friends or he'll be on um kennedy and it's like you have three minutes to get your point across against three uh you know uh, right. panelists that don't agree with you at all versus you get to have a three and a half hour conversation with a guy who doesn't agree with you on maybe like half the stuff and you can dig into the reasons of why and find common ground like that's going to be the way that you're going to see local candidates especially build trust and i'm seeing it like i had a local guy on my show he was running for new york state assembly and he came on my show and like i had people from my home community who he was running in that district messaged me saying like, hey, I actually didn't know this about Mark, like in the name of a certain policy, or I didn't know this was happening. Like, thank you for having that conversation because otherwise our newspapers, they weren't covering it. And it's like, there you go. That's our role. Like we are not like playing the role of gatekeepers or journalists, but like we're kind of like serving that role when it's being not 
served by the the traditional gatekeepers that are there right now. So like, I encourage again more local candidates get involved, reach out, and there are nonprofits out there that are supporting non you know non traditional candidates, especially candidates who are getting money out of politics. Um, you know, I serve on a board, it's a Trailblazers Pack, and they like support um, any candidate nonpartisan, just if they will show like their money in politics. Like they they'll open the books and you'll show your candidate records, and you're a local candidate, and you're you're not going to have any dark money. They'll support you. They'll endorse you in a heartbeat. And like, they're a nonpartisan organization. Like we need more organizations like that. So I encourage folks, again, if you, if you, and especially from my perspective, if you like, they want to learn more about that, obviously reach out to me. Um, So I'd be more than happy to to put them in contact. But I mean, that this libertarian podcasting network we have too, it's, it's like, this is, this is, I think the future for libertarian media is it's not the traditional gatekeepers of, you know, the, the traditional libertarian uh, media organizations is going to be the independent media it's going to be the the lions of liberties the we are libertarians it's going to be the part of the problems and the dave smiths and the jason stapletons it's going to be the, the, the those organizations kind of their networks all kind of interconnecting and we see that across the board as it is right now that's going to be really how we continue to grow it's this organic natural growth of these networks growing together the, the audience is growing together and and you actually mentioned something very interestingly, like how it used to be that it, those silos were geographic, right? But now the silos are are kind of going more towards ideological. And I was originally thinking like maybe that's a bad thing, but I don't know. Maybe it's also a good thing because we're learning that the the, the ideas that were considered to be like the mainstream idea of your home community, maybe that's not the case. Like there's actually the fifty percent of people who aren't talking out there that aren't voting. They probably agree with you. And I think partly is that libertarians haven't been good leaders. If you're a good leader and you're openly saying like, here, this is what I believe. Don't hurt people and take their stuff or taxation is theft. And the people who also were like, yeah, like I, I kind of agree with that. Right now they, they feel like, oh, I can, I can say that. Like, and that's again, kind of why Trump yeah. got so much support from Republicans. Cause like, they were like, he's saying the part that we need him to say. And they liked that. And, and that's again, that's that's to the point. That's I think libertarians, we we need to now serve that role. So, man, I'm I'm hoping we're, we're building some inroads now and I'm hoping that those those long lasting conversations will, will you know turn into some long lasting supporters of liberty. They'll help us get policy enacted across the world and actually make people's lives more uh, more pro liberty and ultimately better. Right. That's the whole point of what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Man, awesome! This this was a great talk, man. Um, yeah, it was a definitely. Blast. We we got I gotta have you back on this show. I'll do your show more often. These are this for is sure. a great talk. Um, but uh, and I'm sure we could keep going on. We could make this a three and a half hour show. Um, that would be. <laughs> but it's does Joe Rogan like is that his is that his like standard podcast time now? Three and a half hours. I don't, he just had so I was scrolling through my uh, my podcast catcher and he had Tom Green on his show. It was four hours and forty nine minutes, and I was like, Tom wow. Green, like Freddie got fingered, Tom Green for four and a half hours. Yeah, so I, I guess so. I mean, good for him. Like that's that's yeah, a marathon. But he, I, had, he had Dave Chappelle and somebody else, and it was it was about uh, something like that, four hours maybe. It's exhausting, it's man. It, it, like good for him though good for him like that's that's why he's got the the number one download podcast i think in the world isn't it he's 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 built up an empire good for him absolutely awesome well it's been awesome having you on the show um i want to give you an opportunity to plug your show and anything else any any other projects or anything you're working on uh go for it for sure thanks man 
yeah uh so so folks can obviously follow me over um on all social media so i i'm active twitter facebook um but also i do minds.com and uh parlor recently as well so you can find me at b nichols liberty um and then the show the brian nichols show yes as you mentioned in the intro they aptly name uh the brian nichols show it's easy to find brian um right now we're around 162 i think episodes total uh i've had the show for around three years and i've had amazing guests ranging from yes the host here dan taxation is steph berman all the way to uh, candidates like uh, larry sharp when he was running for office in 2018 to now serving as a podcast host of the sharp way um joe jorgensen justin amash thomas massey glenn jacobs um, mark lobliner there's so many great folks i've had in this show uh and really the whole point of the show how do we focus on selling liberty effectively to people um i'm having people on from all different uh political means of thought having conversations about the issues that people care about right talking about the issues that are the bed bug problems so um folks can go ahead follow again it's the brian nichols show uh, apple podcast uh, if they are interested and they like what they hear i would definitely appreciate a subscribe um and definitely if they uh it, give me the subscribe the five star rating and review would be uh, much appreciated so otherwise dan it's been an absolute blast man thank you so much for uh, for having me on the show and, and definitely going to be having you on in the future for sure as well i think this conversation it's it's one that it, it needs to be constant it can't be every election cycle we got to keep we got to keep the 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 sales cycle churning there's no uh there's no off season for liberty absolutely um and of course uh head on over to taxationistheft.info and get all your info on not paying taxes Get your awesome hats and swag and everything. Support us. Keep the show on the air. Keep us distributing our counter-propaganda all around the world and ending fighting to end taxation for everybody. Because uh, don't you want to live in a tax-free society? I think that would be fucking amazing. Oh, man. All right, guys. Thanks Thanks so much. Um, Brian, thanks again. And uh, we'll see you next time. Taxation is theft. A quick read from our new sponsor, and that is the Expat Money Show. Now, if you are a longtime listener or even a relatively new listener here on The Brian Nichols Show, then you remember our good friend Mikkel Thorup from The Expat Money Show. What an episode. To learn that just because you were born in one country doesn't mean that you have to pay your taxes there forever to do your banking there or to have your investments there, raise your family there, or even have your companies register there, learn there, get your kids educated there or even live your life there. How about that? You can go ahead and live your life wherever it is you see fit, because the Expat Money Show, which is hosted by our friend Mikkel Thorup, originally started as a podcast, but has grown to a worldwide community of entrepreneurs who are living international location, independent lifestyles. Mikkel is focused on helping you live an international life by looking at problems through the lens of global solutions. In this day and age, there is no reason you should let borders get in the way of having the best the world has to offer. So, Brian Nichols Show audience, head over to the Expat Money Show today. Give Mikkel a subscribe, a fantastic show, and tell him that Brian Nichols sent you. Alrighty, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Dan. Taxation is theft. Berman over on his amazing podcast. Yes, aptly named Taxation is Theft. And thank you, Dan, for uh, for having me on. I think it's it's definitely the question of our, our you know future, really, as a, as a greater liberty movement. How do we effectively communicate and effectively sell liberty? And I'm not really seeing a, a lot of the people at the head of the party being the best salespeople. So... 
I ask, is it a matter of we are not being effective communicators because we don't know how, or are we not being effective communicators because we don't want to be effective communicators, and rather we want to lecture because, well, obviously, we're right. And I think it, I think you're going to find there are far too many folks, especially um, in the greater Big L movement, who that's where the mentality is in in the latter. Um, you know, we're our own club of being right and. Sorry, that's not going to work in terms of uh, growing the movement forward. And candidly, there there comes a point in time where um, you know those folks are you're going to either need to put up or shut up. And and you're seeing there has been a a swell, a, a really big push away from that old traditional thinking. And I'm I'm hoping that we're going to see an embrace of a more professional approach to the party going forward. And yes. That requires us, uh, you know, not lecturing, but rather talking to people, reaching out to them and asking them, you know, what what is their bed bug issue? What is the number one problem that is an issue that we can likely solve as libertarians with libertarian ideas? So with that being said, uh, you know, I thank you again to to Dan for for having me on the show, because I do find it necessary and important right now to uh, to be uh you know focusing on that issue and and i think you know if we can at the very least have folks come here to the brian nichols show looking how we can best sell liberty you know that's that's going to be a good starting off point and hey to the tens and thousands of listeners out there who are who are listening every single month thank you you guys are making the difference you guys learning what you're doing here at the brian nichols show how to sell liberty that is the way we move things forward in the future. Now, heading into the future, let's uh, actually look ahead. Coming up here on Wednesday, we are joined by Gorav Dubé. He is the content editor for Microdose.Buzz. And yes, we are going to be taking a trip to Funky Town. <laughs> I hate I hate myself. Um, no, we're, we're, we're actually going to be talking about psychedelics, right? This is something I, I literally know nothing about. And that's candidly why I want to have Gorav on the show, because this is a, an area that you're, I think you're going to see a lot more people digging into as we move forward the next, uh, you know, two, three, four years, especially looking at the elections, uh, starting to focus on, at the very least, decriminalizing a lot of these psychedelics and opening them up for um, medicinal use. And and that's one of uh, the, the focuses we talk about there on Wednesday. And then on Friday, yes, Friday, we are joined by a good friend of the show, Cliff Maloney from Young Americans for Liberty, uh, talking about the wins Young Americans Liberty had across the uh, the nation by knocking on doors, yes, making Liberty win, and and his uh, knock at the door campaign there, it, it works, and, and Young Americans for Liberty has the uh, the track record, so Cliff joins the show to help dig into some of those wins there, coming up on Friday, so guys, if you enjoyed the show, as always, please do me a favor, number one, actually, go ahead and support Dan Taxation and Steph Berman uh, over all the uh, different enterprises he's leading, um, and obviously, Dan Taxation and Steph Berman is not too difficult to find, but I will include the links to, uh, to Dan's social media and to uh, his enterprises in the show notes. And for yours truly, B. Nichols Liberty, Facebook, Twitter, Minds.com, and yes, Parlor.com. Go ahead, give me a follow there. And uh, guys, if you have not yet, please head over to Apple Podcasts. Give us that five-star rating and review. Tell the folks why you like the show. Do you find the show engaging? Do you like to learn from the different guests? Are you finding value in how we help sell liberty? Or, hey, are you just looking to learn from these C-level executives or experts in their fields? Whatever it may be, please give us that uh, that little blurb. What is it that you keep on coming back for as a member of the Brian Nichols Show audience every single week? Every single episode. Three episodes per week now. Gosh, you guys. I I love you guys so much. Seriously. It's been great to, to have such great conversations with truly some 
phenomenal, fascinating people. So, uh, you know, please keep keep on, uh, you know, spreading the word. I cannot thank you guys enough. Um, so, with that being said, again, thank you so much to Dan Taxation is Theft Berman for having me on his program, Taxation is Theft. But with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you, Dan Taxation is Theft Berman. We'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.